Welcome to the Digitally Native podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be digital and to live digital lives. I'm your host, Fungai, and together we will explore a range of topics and trends around digital and social media and digital innovation. So grab a drink, buckle up, and let's get right into it. Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast episode, where I continue my conversation with Professor Sean Jacobs of the New School, founder of Africa as a Country. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I did a first part of this episode where we discussed a little bit more about the background of how Africa as a Country came about, what was happening in the digital terrain at that point in time, and the other factors that had precipitated uh, that moment that had brought about the factors that made uh, the digital space uh, a very fertile space for community building at that time. So in this week's episode, we continue the conversation and have a little bit more of a discussion about uh, some of the the ways that Africa as a country has been perceived, particularly from a non-diasporic perspective, and what the platform has been doing to shift that perception of uh, of its politics being largely about Africans in Western settings in the diaspora, talking back to issues of Africanness from outside the continent. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode and I look forward to catching you on the other side of it. Right. And I think this, all of that adds up, like being curious, um, I like reading. Um, yeah. I also like always, I'm also always fascinated. If somebody has a good idea, I'm willing to like go like, yeah, your idea is better than mine. So mm-hmm. I think that just made it yeah. possible to say like, okay, I can, I think I can run a magazine like this and I would be able to, to like, if things change, if things change in the intellectual environment, in other words, if new ideas come, I know how to be open to that. And I think that is what I think helped make that possible. And what was the initial composition of your readership and your contributors at that point? Because as you say, um, South Africa is a very insular environment. And and you even mentioned that in your grad uh, school studies, you know, you're being exposed to African scholarship, which you wouldn't be exposed to in South Africa, which is, you know, one of the anomalies and the strangenesses of, of South Africa. So who who are you initially attracting in this period where you're talking of this Africa as a country concept? So before Africa as a country, I would say Mio Africanas already, even though it wasn't as big as Africa as a country, it had like like regular readers. There were Mm. people that you could see would comment. A lot of them were South Africans, few of them, not a lot, but like some of them, because I, you know, I'd like worked on Chimarenga, being mm-hmm. part of some kind of social circles in Cape Town and Johannesburg. So mm-hmm. a lot of those people, once I was living in the U.S., you sort of keep in contact with your friends online. So mm-hmm. in the comments, you'd see some of them, you know, I would like mention, I don't know, like Abdullah Ibrahim, who I like as a sort of cosmopolitan African from South Africa, or, uh, you know, writers, artists, musicians, thinkers. So people like that would sort of comment, make comments. Other people I would also join. I do remember like one of the early kind of fans of Africa's country was somebody called Ibn Batuta. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be the writer that is now known as Teju Cole. And so it's like, yeah. you know, and, and I, that's how I met him. And he, we, he gave mm-hmm. me like a copy of his book um, every day for the thieves. So it's like you're, it, it, there was already some kind of, I would say niche readers. These other people were also students. And I was mm-hmm. a grad student. So they were also students. They were like young academics. 
Um, but over time, what became clear is, and, and I'm sort of relying on the stats work for the country, I think it became clear that it was mostly, because I was living also in the US, I was kind of writing from my position in the US about Africa. So yeah. like I always joke, I go to South Africa and I'm sort of complaining you know, over Christmas about Nicholas Kristof and his bad writing in the New York Times. And some South Africa will be like, who's that? And I'm realizing, yeah. oh, it doesn't matter here. I mean, you know, in Nairobi and I talk about it and nobody cares. So I was writing, I think, from and to mostly an American audience. So yeah. I would say at all times, I would argue, and later we have stats to prove it, the, on, on balance, like the, plura the plurality, so more than 50% of people were always coming from North America. Right. Um, then second, the second sort of larger, the second um, batch of readers, but not, not even half would be from like Western Europe, particularly like, you know, the Britain, smaller bits from like the, the Netherlands, France, Germany, some Scandinavia. And then I would say on the continent, there were like always two big chunks of readers, South Africa. And part of it was just the, 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 the access that people had to like technology, phones, you know, right. internet in South Africa. Um, that was, it was, and I'm from South Africa, so it was typical that there was going to be an audience from South Africa, Nigeria, um, uh, Kenya, Ghana. And then, you know, depending on the topic, you'd have like some people are reading from, from Zimbabwe or whatever. Initially, I would say the initial group of contributors, like the first contributor was, um, was a, a young Rwandese um, grad student. Um, she used like a, like a pseudonym, um, Sonia Segura. She was, she was like the first person I approached. I actually ran into her as I joined the new school and she was working at a desk and I was like, hey, I'm blogging online. and I'm gonna you know, change the name of this website. And I think she started writing by like the end of that year. And then slowly other people came on board. Um, Elliot Ross, who was a student at, um, at Columbia University. He actually, the first piece he wrote was about, um, who was the finance minister in the unity government? In Zimbabwe. Uh, Tendai Biti. Yeah, uh, Tendai Biti came to Columbia. He wrote about that, that um, visit by Tendai Biti. Um, you know, Marissa Moorman, Who's a historian mm -hmm. at um, at uh, Indiana University? She she was the professor of um, I met was the young Zimbabwean writer who's um, I think she was at Princeton for a while. Um, forget her name now, but Rudo 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 Mudiwa. Oh, Rudo Mudiwa. Rudo yes. Mudiwa studied with Marissa. And that's actually how I met Rudo. And Rudo wrote uh -huh. like, one or two things for Africa's country. So a lot of those. Uh, Nelika Giordane, who had worked a bit on Chimorenga, she also right, was part right. of the digital crew. Um, Dylan Valley, who's a South African filmmaker from Cape Town. Um, Sasong Kemsemang joined later. Wangui uh, Kamari, who is um, a Kenyan uh, anthropologist, geographer. So just kind of, I think, Dan Magaziner, who's a historian of kind of the 1970s and black consciousness in South Africa. So just like as time went by, I just, you know, I would see somebody, they would write somewhere else. So I would notice that they have something to say, but they're not writing if I ran into them. And I'd right. ask them to write. Sometimes a lot of them were just former students. Mm. I met a student and I was like, oh, you're a good writer. You know, then I would ask them to write. Mm -hmm. If I'm at a conference on a panel yeah. or something, I would notice somebody. 
um, I would just kind of ask them to join. I would say that to your point again about readers, but also just about who's writing. And then that has a, I think that has a link to who's reading. Um, initially, I would, it is true that most of the writers, most of the people writing were in the diaspora. Right. They were right. African. I mean, of course, yeah. the, the, the African country initially wasn't just like only Africans can write. It was, you know, people who were white, people who were not African also wrote. And uh, it was more interesting, like, do we share ideas? Do we have political principles that align? But if, if, but I always felt like I would love for more and more Africans to write for the website. Like that was something I cared about because might be making a claim that the writing on Africa is terrible and then you don't create opportunity. So in this case, I would say it was mostly young Africans who lived in the diaspora, but I felt that that was a, that wasn't, that wasn't the right thing to do. And I think over time, we figured out ways to bring in people who live on the continent to also write. And that meant, you know, you, you can't expect somebody to take their time off and write. If you, you, you have to think, you know, it, 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 it's, 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 um, it's labor. Like they have to take time out. They have to do some research. So eventually we did start figuring out ways to pay people. We created a fellowship with yeah. uh, 10 fellows. I think at least, at least nine of them were, were young Africans. One of them was a young American who lived in Senegal, but the most of them were young Africans. So, so with all of that, I think those are challenges that you sort of figure out as you go, who's reading, right. who's writing, who are you writing for? That's always in flux. Yeah. Right. And, and how did you manage that perception shift? Because I, I do remember this time when Africa as a country was very much, you were reading it, you were consuming it, but if you were on the continent, it felt almost like, you were having Africa told to you from the diaspora. And, I, you know, some people felt like they couldn't contribute because they, they weren't speaking in this kind of language of yeah. um, diaspora politics. How did you then intentionally shift from that to try to include more voices from the continent? I mean, I just think I had this, I always had this nagging feeling, like, you know, mm-hmm. because I was like, I'm from Cape Town. I'm not, I didn't grow up in the West. Right. So I always had this nagging feeling that I was getting sucked into, you know, I'm probably going to get canceled as Beyonce. Not that we were doing Beyonce, but like, like it's easy to get on Twitter, on Facebook, on our Facebook page, or some of the articles we ran to get all upset always about Western journalism, Western galleries, uh, you know, uh, somebody like just kind of in debates that, that, are, that, are, that are important to, to diaspora in which mm-hmm. often these are things you're, you, it, it, these were mostly at that time, I would say, debates at the margins. These people weren't having power in the West. Whereas I always felt like, but hold up, there are places where we govern, where we mm-hmm. run things. Mm-hmm. And with lots of consequences for, you know, people, for populations, local populations. So what do we, do we have anything to say about that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think when, 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 there was also, again, techn- for me, again, I always say it's technical, what happens to technology? What happens to the public sphere? I think those things matter. Like I, I started to notice. Like, hold up, you can write a piece in like the, like you know, the New Vision in Uganda or the, or, or in New Zimbabwe, and people can just like tweet it. Right. So it is true then that people are there. Those public, those public spheres exist. People are writing there. And how am I? If I have this thing that that is like a bullhorn. I yeah. need to figure out to bring that some of that debate into the 
into this publication because I cannot work on this assumption of, like you said, if there's a perception that all I'm doing is like, I am kind of lecturing right. you know, the publication, not me, but the publication is lecturing um, and is claiming to represent sort of the opinions of people, the ideas of people on the continent, but not, but not finding any space for them, then that that's not, then, you know, it, it, it just makes a mockery of sort of my claims. Um, and I think I then started to work actively, like that's how we appointed the staff writer, we'll show people right. and Joburg, you know, like bringing, bringing, like I said, with the fellows, like just kind of being more active in like trying to do, trying to do those things. Like for, for example, we started saying, if we were going to review books, it's fine to review books that are published by publishers in the West, but we should talk, review books that are published by African publishers. Yep. We should yep. talk about the publishing industry on the continent. If we are going to write about African politics, it's fine to write about US militarism. Everybody does that. Mm-hmm. But we want to write about that local agency, about you know, right. Rwandan political elites, South African political elites, Kenyan political elites. What are they doing? Right. And and another thing that's been very clear or very close to you is um, your politics, um, your leftist working class politics that comes across very clearly, I think, in in the aesthetic and the politics of Africa as a country. Um, and you've, you've spoken a little bit about, you know, this pop culture sort of writing. And it's quite clear that that's not entirely where Africa as a country positions itself in in providing commentary on those kinds of issues. Why is that important to keep as a kind of area of, well, this is our niche and anything that's not out, that's not within that sort of doesn't get into that public sphere. Do you think then that's representative of Africa? I, I mean, that's attention. I think it's attention. I think like if you look at the early Africa as a country, it did a lot of lot more cultural commentary. Mm-hmm. And that was a function of um what the debates about Africa were. Like I said, you are living in the West and you're reacting to the kind of things that people are talking about Africa in the West. And initially, mm-hmm. I would say most people reflect at the time, cultural politics dominated like the early 2000s. So that's what you were going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But then as it became, you know, so, and as I said, it's this thing of like, people can do this, cult- everybody was doing cultural. Suddenly there were all these other websites I'm not going to name them, but they are just all writing about pop music and sometimes badly. They're just posting a video and just summarizing the video, but not really. If you are going to do cultural relief, if Africa is a country does do, we do write about music. Sometimes we write about films, mostly mm-hmm. about films. But our point is to say, you know, what is that piece of art saying? A lot mm-hmm. of the websites don't do that. But I think there was with me always this tension of um, it's fine to write about culture, but culture is very much, I would say, the preserve of kind of literate elites, you know, middle class people with with uh, disposable incomes, uh, and but most other people, like regular people, if they consume pop culture, I don't think they consume it in that way. They they're not buying the Lemonade album; they're just looking at YouTube videos. Um, and at best, you know, they 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 don't they don't. I, don't, I think they're smart enough not to make that. That's not what they think is politics. Mm-hmm. Like they understand the limits of, like they understand the limits of, of pop culture politics. Mm-hmm. It's mostly like, you know, I'm not going to say you, but it's people of my class who, will, <laughs> who think that, that um, you know, the, the, whatever somebody says on, a, on an album 
uh, is somehow, you know, hardcore politics when we all know that it's implicated by record companies, marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think so what, what, is, what is your class? Because you're, you're, I'm you're middle making- class right now. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm a associate professor. I'm tenured. Right. Right. I'm, I'm not, but I do still understand that that's not, that's not the, the class position of like my cousin or my nephew in South Africa. So I think I'm more, I think I'm sort of caught in that bind that I understand that, yeah, I can, I can participate in these kind of cultural debates, but I also know their limits. I know what's possible with them. Uh, and what's not possible with those those debates? What I think, what I insist on, what I think, what I, what I think, Africa's country should do is to be really about like power, the politics of power, like who runs things, how do they run things, how do they distribute resources? Is it, of course, I'm, as I said, we are concerned about that, how that works in the West and what that means for us. But simultaneously, what is it that that local agents can do about it? So, but again, I don't. When I do that. I try, I try to say that Africa's a country shouldn't write about those things. And I'm using these, when you said earlier about the language and the styles, in the register, I don't want the register to sound this kind of like uh, hysterical, you know, old lefty, old lefty. No, I want, that's why I bring in younger writers. The so products of Fees Must Fall and so on. I bring them in right. because I feel, I feel like they, I'm not going to be around in a couple of years. I'm going to be old. At some point, I'm going to die. But it's their future. So I want them to write the stuff. And I think the people who are with me, they, it's they, they're also saying they don't necessarily care to write about all this pop music and pop so, who, who is, you, 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 there's this class distinction you're making about, you know, the issues that affect people, quote unquote, on the ground, as people like to say. But who is the readership of Africa as a country in general? Would it be a middle class? Would it be a working yeah. class? Who is reading Africa as a country? So on that, on that, I am not uh, romantic or not, uh, what's the word? I'm not like lying to myself. I mm-hmm. think I'm writing to literate elites. Mm-hmm. I'm writing to the people who run things. Right. Whether they're running universities, whether mm-hmm. they're running the media, and whether mm-hmm. they're running politics. That's mm-hmm. what I'm writing for. I'm trying to influence their thinking to think differently about the past, to think differently about how, mm. you know, what I call the usable past. So certain kinds of politics that people don't, that people might be discrediting now and go looking at that Sankara, Nehere, mm. like see if there was, even in Zimbabwe, there are, there are moments people will show you when there were other choices available after independence. Right. So when this other, so it's like, Capturing those other, like, I, I'm speaking to those elites. I think mm-hmm. that's the people. I don't think my little nephew or my sister, even if my sisters are like, you know, some of them are, they, 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 they don't do that work anymore, but they were like textile workers in factories. My dad was a gardener. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not uninterested in this, but they don't necessarily, they don't think they can affect power. So I'm not writing to them. I'm writing to people who can affect power. And do you see a shift in that? Do you see these intermediaries between yourself and the working class shifting the narratives and shifting actions that are impacting people in those ways? I mean, I can't, I can't you know, again, like, uh, I don't want to describe um, right. Africa's right. country, which I, can't, right. which I can't hold up. But I will say this, and this doesn't necessarily apply to Africa's country, I don't think you initially see the effect of something. I see. I think you see the effect of something like 
like a few years on. I'll give two right. examples. I think if you look at something like the Occupy movement in the US when it first happened here, I was also mm-hmm. there like, what is the point of this? People, people occupied a square, they blocked roads. But anybody who's in the US will tell you that that led eventually to uh, you know, the rise of Bernie Sanders, democratic socialism, Mm. Even emboldened Black Lives Matter, like the new kind of feminist politics that you see in the U.S., all comes mm. on the, the rise of like the return of trade unionism, you know, the mm. whole Starbucks thing and Amazon. Mm. It all, it, it, it takes a while for people to pick up on ideas. Fees Must Fall, I think, is the same. Like it came, mm. it erupted in South Africa and it, it led to, you know, the, the, it was for two years and then it seemed to have died out. But mm-hmm. it's obvious that like it wasn't the end of it. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the distrust and the way people feel about say Ramaphosa in South Africa now mm-hmm. is the outgrowth of that sort of fees must fall. Similarly, if mm-hmm. you take Zimbabwe, um, even if we were talking about this before the program started, before this recording, um, the elites, of course, they managed to stage manage the whole thing in the end. But there was popular energy. Mm-hmm. In 2017. We could see something else, mm. but it's, it, it feels like they were stunted in that moment. We don't mm. know. That energy might come back. People are going to draw on that energy of 2017 at another moment. Mm-hmm. You're like a step, you know. So mm-hmm. with Africa as a country, all I can do is put the ideas out there and hopefully I'm hoping people will take it in. It's on the internet. I mean, it's the way like, like I... It sounds weird for me to say, like, I was influenced by transition, which is Rajat Nyoji in Uganda in the 1960s. I wasn't even alive for that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was alive in South Africa in the 1980s with, like, Work in Progress, um, The New Nation, the mailing, the, the then-known Weekly Mail, Freer Wirkblatt. I was alive mm-hmm. for that, though I was a teenager and reading all these alternative publications, reading all these, like, m- magazines of opinion that came from the left in South Africa, they all died. Like many of those publications don't exist anymore, but they did leave an impression on me. Mm. Like, you know, mm. you need a critical, you need some kind of, because that, that, those publications, they were the critical arm of the democratic movement in South Africa. And mm. they, they influenced a lot of the debates of what people said they would like to have in South Africa after 1994. Right. It didn't happen that way. We're going to run out of time. And yeah, 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 yeah. Get through. I think the other thing that's really important to mm-hmm. situate a space like Africa as a country in like 10 years ago, where you start having this mushrooming of social media platforms and then these spaces, these very seminal talks that, you know, um, Chibamanda and Ngozi Adichie's uh, TED Talk and these little moments. She's in trouble of, these days, right? I mean, yes, I do. Know, I do. Know, I thought that as I said her name, but then you know, this is this is, this is fact. She had this right. Very, no, she said that we have to give her that when she said the single story. Yeah. Yes, the danger yeah. of a single story. So you have this moment where there's a lot of focus on Africa. You're coming out of the space where Time uh, magazine has had this cover of Africa as you know the hopeless continent, and then there's this optimism that emerges, largely Western-driven in some ways. And then also there's these voices, these African voices and platforms that are emerging. What do you think fueled that moment? You mean what fueled the, the, this kind of this new, the new energy about young Africans? New, yes, this new imaginary about Africa and this pushback against this very Western idea of what Africa is. 
I mean, there's again, it's like some of that, some of that pushback I like. Some of it I think it's it it's it's sort of it's easy to be exploited. So mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of if you create that binary of like, you know, uh there's this um the the West is the West has been terrible. <laughs> let's 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 mm-hmm. draw that, let's say that full stop. So mm-hmm. but then there's I think there's a tendency. And it gets exploited, I think, by African elites that do terrible things to their own populations, you know, um, mm-hmm. like one-party states, mm-hmm. new-level authoritarians, juntas, you know, military regimes. They, mm-hmm. the, first, the first defense of the scoundrel is like, ah, oh, the West. So there, mm-hmm. is a, there is a way in which they often exploit that, that part, like these, some of these um, various states and governments. Where I like that that kind of argument is when I think that argument of saying like, you know, you can't go on like, like writing about us in this way or uh, having this unequal relationship with Africans, you know what I'm saying? Like whether it's about immigration, whether it's about migrancy, whether it's about resource management, whether it's about cultural politics and asking for something else. I think what I like it, if that is, if that comes with something else. And for me, that something else is like, when people insist on, um, we are—it's it, not like, oh, okay, I critique the West so that I could, be, so that I must be their partner, like, like I must be the beneficiary of whatever that change is going to be, like whether it means I make money out of this new system, you know, mine running a mine, or do you know what I'm saying? Like I do the advert, they they can make the same ads exploit the same things, but I must make the ads. I think if it's that, then it's not a good politics. I think if it comes with other things like accountability, mm-hmm. uh, with a sort of politics of accountability, with democratic politics, with a politics that wants, you know, everybody to have, to love your main, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, there's no exploitation. If it doesn't come with like, there's a weird thing now where there's an obsession with returns to, oh, well, an obscure, it comes to obscure politics, return to tradition. Mm-hmm. Like people invent now all kinds of uh, traditions or they say, I want to return to our tradition. What is our tradition? They don't ask, like, is our tradition, like, uh, patriarchal? Is it bad for, is, it, it, do we bring back practices that are bad for women? Is it homophobic? You know, like, if, if it doesn't do, if it doesn't do, again, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but if it if it doesn't ask those other kinds of critical questions, then I, I I think that stuff is not really useful or helpful. But I do understand where it comes from, and I think when you said like what makes it happen, and you mentioned Chimamanda, I think it does have to do with the diaspora. Mm-hmm. The diaspora mm-hmm. have have a bigger voice. They right. they are in these spaces where people are making, you know, particularly in Britain. Well, first in the U.S. and then I would say in in the U.K. And then to some extent, I would say in France, you know, because mm-hmm. of the French-speaking, um, this kind of French-speaking world. Yeah. But I, I think, and, and, and then there's, of course, social media. We don't, we don't have to be in the proximity of those, living mm-hmm. those capitals, you know, London, mm-hmm. New York, or Paris. You could just be from, you could, you could, you could make media from Harare. Yeah. So I think a lot, a lot has happened, but I would, I would give the diaspora a lot of credit. Issa Rae, Daniel Kalua, you know, the, the, the actor, like a lot of like kind of actors, act writers were living right. in the diaspora. I think they've done a lot to sort of fight people at that, like where they were, like at the, at the front lines. And then I think people produced other kinds of media. 
where it, then I'll stop after this because I can drone on. I think it gets interesting where like, say, um, something like Black Panther comes, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there's been articles where people are like, why are, why are these kids in like, you know, Harare or Joburg <laughs> dressing up and going to the theater okay. and doing okay. black, you know, Black Panther stuff? Well, it's partly because even they are looking for something that's because they're political, the politics where they are, the cultural politics, the social politics, economic politics, where they are, failed them. And they're looking for something. The problem, even with something like Black Panther, is it would be nice if we have critical engagements with it. Like, that's what is interesting in cultural politics. The Killmonger character, mm. you know, how he gets portrayed. In, it's good to ask critical questions. Why is Killmonger portrayed as crazy? Why is it that the, the, the route that we should see as good politics is actually a king? Mm-hmm. So it's a hereditary rule, like, like uh, uh, T'Challa, you know, the, the actor, portrayed by the actor who died. Yeah. That's the route that's like the cool route. We must make the king and princesses and whatever. Nice. Why is it that the figure that, was, that wanted to destroy that system... Mm. Came like so. If it's that, if it becomes like that, like I like all the creativity and everything, but I want us to ask those kind of, um, uh, you know, those other kinds of critical questions. Yeah. So we've, we're really running out of time, and the final question I'll ask you is around African digitality and it's how you seeing an evolution. We've talked a lot about diasporic voices being very prominent in the digital space. Are we seeing a shift? You know, we have these new platforms like TikTok. We're seeing younger influencers coming up. Is is it still this kind of domain of the diaspora largely representing Africa and African voices? No, not I don't not really. Not really. I mean, there's many reasons for that. I think one is, of course, the 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 main kind of media companies like Netflix, for example, created a lane for African producers. Like you don't, you could, I could, I could sit in New York, you could sit in Harare and we could watch, we could watch the same Netflix now. Mm-hmm. I think that, 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 the, 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 and, and, and the, produ- the stuff we're watching is often from African producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly from Johannesburg or, mm-hmm. or Lagos. But we are watching stuff produced by Africans in, you know, a lot of people in New York will, will reference something to you where they're like, oh, hold up. What are you watching? And you're talking about a show that, that you're watching that comes from South African television. Young African famous on Netflix, for instance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, or you could have, I think what would be interesting is if you have streaming services, uh, this one from South Africa called Showmax. I don't know if you can watch that. Yeah. You can watch that in Zimbabwe, right? Like, imagine, imagine a Showmax can, can like, because there's geo blocks, right? Where you can only see things in certain geographical locations and then it's blocked, like you can't see it. But imagine something like a Somax becomes more available to anybody anywhere. Like you could just- Is you that could, not just another Mnet though? Yeah, but I'm saying like, what if, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily punting for like Somax in its current condition. I'm saying if, if you have like a Somax and it is serious about mm-hmm. not just bringing you lots of South African content, even it does, mm-hmm. I think it does mm-hmm. a decent job but let's say he did more other quality content produced from other African markets, including from the diaspora. Mm-hmm. I think like that's, that will be interesting for where we're going. And I'll give you an example. Like often I'll watch something on YouTube. You, you, I don't have to, I can be like, you know what? And I do this often. I mean, because I'm like an old guy. So once a week I'll be like, let me see what 
was what was up on SABC this week on YouTube, mm-hmm. ENCA, you know, like, uh, or I'll just kind of NTV from Kenya, or, mm-hmm. you know, Bullseye. I don't think Bullseye exists anymore. Now. You know, Bullseye. Okay. It's like this, like it's sort of last week tonight with John Oliver, but a Kenyan version. Uh, but it's very cool. short. Most of the time, he speaks in English, and a lot of the clips I like Swahili or Shang or you know Kuyo or whatever. But I like that kind of like. Like if I, if I, uh, today, today I watched, uh, earlier today I watched a lecture of, um, that was at Makarere, it was Mandani, Sergei Tamale, and a bunch of other people talking about the 50th anniversary of Asian expulsion from, mm-hmm. from Uganda. It was just, you know, filmed with, I think, like two or three cameras, but it held my attention for at least more than an hour. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just, there's a lot more, I, I think definitely things have become more democratic. Where something like Africa as a country comes in, we try to produce more documentaries. We said that we, our aim, I think, eventually is like something like a streaming service. Mm-hmm. If we could produce a streaming service, set up a streaming service where people can access like a library of African film, um, very well produced, you know, uh, interview shows, news programming, etc. I think that that's, I think that those kind of things are more and more possible. Mm-hmm. definitely stream more. There's going to be more African productions that are going to happen. Okay. All right. Well, do you, is there anything that we haven't? Oh, this was great. This was great. I probably said more things than I should have, but I did. But thank you so much for, your time. for having me. Yeah. Really appreciate it. And I, yeah, all these insights are so, so helpful for people to know. So thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for having me. Take it easy. See you. Okay. okay bye. All right, that's a wrap for today. I hope you got something insightful out of this conversation. As always, if you have any further inputs, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can send an email at info at digitallynativepodcast.com. Otherwise, you can tweet back at the handle on Twitter, which is at Native Podcast. You can tag the handle and share some of your thoughts or perspectives about this episode or anything else really that you feel might be useful to keep tabs on. All right. I wish you a good rest of your week and I'll catch you next week.